Hey, we were just starting the Arena Craft podcast, a show focused exclusively on Magic the Gathering Arena. Quit breaking my balls. And uh, joining me today is none other than the Mr. Concrete Shoes himself, the man who sleeps with the fishes, the man who's never on the wrong side of Jersey. It is Cobra Go Blue. How are you doing today, buddy? Sleeping with the fishes. <laughs> oh, goodness. I am um, I'm good. It's morning CGB, as you phrase it. I have energy in the morning for some reason. Seems weird. Doesn't seem right to me, but okay. Let's do it. You're dressed up. You look like a million bucks. Carrying the video content. I'm just, I'm dressed like a schmuck. This just serves to reinforce the notion that I'm the boss around here. So uh, we, we've got the brains and the muscle. So today we're going to be reading the complete spoiler for the streets of New Capanna. Now, the interesting thing about this is that we're getting the complete spoiler like at the same time we usually would, but the set's actually releasing a week later on Arena. That's an interesting thing to just take a note of. Uh, we're not going to actually be able to play this set until April 28th. I just find that to be an interesting decision they made, CGB. Do you think that they did that to try to help the game stores make a little more money at the pre-release? I think so. I think there's probably an attitude both in a part of Watsi and in the community at large that Arena's had it. It's gotten its time <laughs> yes but like it, it's been the company's baby uh for the entirety of covid and now they're going to the store is becoming more of a thing that is possible maybe not frowned upon as much as it was a year ago and two years ago that they want to lean into that pretty heavily which is uh i think that's all gravy it does mean that all of us here on the Arena Craft Podcast just have to wait around, like sitting on our hands and freaking bullying our little brothers or whatever, waiting for the set to come out. So that's going to be a little excruciating, but who knows? Maybe this will encourage you, the listener, to go and play a pre-release. Dude, I mean, I'm ready to just dive in and put on the rubber gloves and, and go do this hit. What do you think? When Arjuna says we're going to read the complete spoiler today, we're not going to read you the complete <laughs> spoiler. We're looking for the killers, the elite, best of the best, the cards that are probably worth crafting, and uh, maybe the ones that might be traps. And I'm sure that, as always, we'll agree on everything, and there will be no... It's going to go very smoothly. Yeah, there will be no feisty uh, disagreement on any cards, I'm sure. So If yeah. CGB backtalks, he's definitely going to be finding himself wearing a new pair of concrete shoes. Ooh, so, okay. <laughs> with, <laughs> with no further ado, let's get into it. We have these just sorted by set number, so we're going to go through the different colors here. And the first card that we're going to talk about today is Depopulate. This is a new sweeper on the block. It is a rare sorcery in white. It is two white white. Each player who controls a multicolored creature draws a card, then destroy all creatures. This reminds us of uh, Shatter the Sky, which saw plenty of play in the Theros Beyond Death format. Uh, and I expect this card to see play, especially after Doomscar rotates out. What do you think, CGB? There are things I really like about the card. Obviously, it's a good old Wrath of God in plenty of situations. My favorite, I think, is for the latter 
just for best of one ladder because you're always going to have monocolored aggro decks near the top of the best of one ladder. So they're not going to draw cards off this unless they play like hybrid mana cards. So that's fun. As far as this in a heads up with Doomscar, I don't think you're on zero depopulates for Doomscars always. It is kind of important. Doomscar is only an upgrade to this in a matchup where A, you know, the multicolored thing would hurt you. And B, you have to have the Doomscar in your opening hand to foretell it to get the reduced cost. So you're taking turn yeah. two and three to invest into your Doomscar. If you don't have the Doomscar, if you need to draw it, it's better to draw a depopulate. I think that that's an important note. I do think that after rotation, you'll see more of it. I also like that it's each player who controls a multicolor creature. So mm -hmm. if we build our deck in such a way to make multicolor creatures or tokens, some of them might be cheap. Some of them might have dies benefits. Some of them just may be good cards we want to put in our deck, like an old rusting kind of value play. And you just depopulate and you get a card. As long as you're getting a card, then even if your opponent gets a card, you're not going to feel too bad about that. So it's a good sweeper that I think will be written off at first as a Wrath with a downside. But this could be Wrath with upside if you play a good value multicolor creature and your opponent plays mono white. So I, I like yeah, this card. That's true. I mean, especially with Bant being a kind of a positioned tricolor pair in the format, I could easily see that deck playing creatures and depopulate. So yeah, really interesting. How do shield counters affect our judgment of this card? So a few things. One, your shield counter would prevent it and you'd draw a card if it's a multicolored shield countered creature. So that could be fun. But that's cool. Same can be said for the opponent. So this kills a shield counter, but not a creature with a shield counter as it currently stands because it's a destroy effect, not an exile effect. So it'll just be interesting to see how that plays out. You know, it's anyone's guess as to which of these shield countered creatures end up appearing in the format. But I think at least one of them will be a staple that might change the playability of Depopulate. Next card, CGB, you want to read Extraction Specialist? Okay, I will read Extraction Specialist. Now, I'm going to warn you, the bar is high because the first thing I'm going to say is the casting cost is two and a white. <laughs> Indeed. This is a 3-2 human rogue with lifelink. When Extraction Specialist enters the battlefield, return target creature card with mana value 2 or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. That creature can't attack or block as long as you control Extraction Specialist. It's 3 mana, 5 value worth of stuff. Two of it can't attack or block. But... Things don't always need to attack or block to affect things, right? You can get back yeah. Spirited Companion, draw a card. You can get back Luminar Gas Pirate, and this is a 5-4 life-linking threat the next turn. Well, you can get and an they kill it. <laughs> Yeah, they kill it because they have to deal with it, and now you can attack and block with your thing that you got back as well. So that's the thing to remember. I don't know whether this card fits into like the current format that we're looking at, but... I definitely think it could be a player. 3-2 um, lifelink is not something that you can stop paying attention to, especially in like a racing kind of a scenario. People can need to continue to do like uh, anvil shenanigans and whatnot. Um, this could become like a more important keyword. Being able to get back a Luminarch Aspirin or your Thalia or, you know, yeah, any other like important creature in, in the matchup. Especially, you know, if depopulates are flying around next turn, you can drop your extraction specialist and get a board presence back. I don't know whether this card sees play on day one, but I think it could see play eventually. Yeah, really cool card. 
Um, let's talk about Giada, Font of Hope. This card's definitely been making waves, and some people have even called it the best tribal card of all time. Setting the bar there, buddy. <laughs> I know, I know. So, Giada, Font of Hope, one and a white legendary creature angel at rare. It is a 2-2 with flying and vigilance. Each other angel you control enters the battlefield with an additional plus one, plus one counter on it for each angel you already control. Ooh, that's I, a different actually, line of text. I actually didn't read that correctly the first time. And now that I'm reading that, whoa, Nelly. Uh, and then it also has this other ability, tap to add white. Spend this mana only to cast an angel spell. So CGB, I think you'll agree, that's a lot of relevant text on a two drop. Can I give you some more relevant text? Yes. I just read the flavor text. Yes. Skip, skip forward 30 <laughs> yes. seconds if you don't like spoilers for the lore. The source of the Cabaretti's Halo turned out to be a single teenage girl. They're drinking yeah, a teenage girl's <laughs> angel essence. I don't really understand what's going on with this Halo thing, especially since, like, there's another card whose flavor text references the Halo, like, being this living thing somehow that's still doing something. Uh, yeah, it's kind of gross. This whole thing is is weird. At first, we all thought it was like drugs. Then it became like streamer's bathwater, and now it's a teenage girl. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the people taking it are the cabaretti, the ones like throwing the party? Uh, I, I, yeah. Gag reflex. Anyway, the cart. I've got to focus on the cart. I'm sorry. That was too <laughs> shocking. I didn't read the last bit of the lore. 2-2 two, two flying vigilance for two. Not trash. Taps for mana. Very not trash. One of the greatest Lord effects that we've ever seen. The next angel that enters the battlefield has a plus one plus one counter because you already control Giada. Unless yeah. they give us a one drop angel. God knows. Yeah. And then after that, the next angel you cast has two plus one plus one counters if you have two angels and so on. And it's a legendary creature. So it can be your commander. I know we're the mm. Arena Craft podcast, but these things matter these days. Mm. They really Indeed. do. I can't Indeed. tell you. People like yeah. playing commander and then trouncing other people, it does make its way into your local game store. Whether or not it makes its way into a top-tier archetype, it's a lot like how Limited used to unveil the edge wall innkeepers before the standard players figured it out. You know what I mean? People are definitely going to be trying this in Historic. We already have a precedented Angels deck that does pretty well in that. This into your three-drop, what's the stupid three-drop angel? Righteous Valkyrie. Yeah, so this into Righteous Valkyrie is a hell of a start to your curve. Legion Angels um, got more Legion-y. Oh, baby. That's nasty. It now, also, one thing... Yeah, go ahead. It says it doesn't say non-token. I'm so used to things like Ooh, being restricted. Yep. So Starnheim yep. Unleashed, Amiria's Call. Wait, so does Starnheim Unleashed, like, proc each consecutive angel? I, I don't think so. They enter okay. at the same time, right? Yeah. And they enter yeah. with the counter. So it's not a trigger. In oh, that way. and I suppose it's already control. I, I, yeah, I don't know. Interesting. Interesting. It if does, that stacks, it would be insane. It curves into Legion Angel and the white mana that you tap it for can cast Starnheim Unleashed. Yeah, overall pretty good. The only downside on this card is it doesn't have that usual Lord effect of like, I played out a bunch of things and then I drop it and it buffs the team and I win that turn kind of a thing. You know, that can be a drawback, but I think... Pound for pound, this has got to be an upside rather than a drawback, right? I think so, because angels, generically, they come in hot. They, they're, they're big. They're not like uh, you have to make a tribe like vampires, a lot of small vampires, bigger and stronger, or zombies. Like, angels are typically a 4-4 from the jump. 
you know, it's anyone's guess as to where this card ends up and in what quantity. It's legendary. So for 60 card formats, you have to keep that in mind. I also think that was kind of a safety valve so that you couldn't get two of these down and just completely mess your opponent's day up. Strong card. Would be surprised if it didn't show up somewhere. What's next? How about Illuminator Virtuoso, CGB? Ooh, we're going to be reading an uncommon. So it must be good. This is a one and a white uncommon 1-1 one, one creature, human rogue, has double strike. Whenever Illuminator Virtuoso becomes the target of a spell you control, it connives. And, you know, first connive of the show, you draw a card, then you discard a card. If you discarded a non-land card, put a plus one, plus one counter on this creature. It has double strike and it gets itself bigger if you target it. Targeting yeah. stuff isn't too hard. Goldspan Dragon knows that. I mean, people have been playing Show of Confidence left and right with said Goldspan Dragon. But this could be another one of those, like, um, now what was the Strixhaven one for one mana that got buffed whenever you targeted it? Oh, no, it had Magecraft. Clever Lumamancer. Clever Lumamancer, right? That card never really got there. But if there were to be a deck that was like that in this new format, Illuminator Virtuoso, I think, would definitely be in it. Let's also not discount the ability of Connive to just keep you churning through your deck to find the answers that you need, whether it's protection for your aggressive dorks or more dorks or more spells to keep pointing at the Virtuoso. This is definitely a card that I think could really go off. Yeah, the Magecraft decks always needed their threats and they needed their cards to target and protect their threats. But... Did you need spell peers? Sometimes you did. Did you need more clever Lumamancers? You know, they didn't trigger each other in their O1s. Sometimes you didn't. This one does give you some selection, and even though you have to discard non-land cards to get the buffs, I think that that ability is really powerful for that type of deck. I agree. So this one could be a player if that kind of thing happens. We haven't really seen it in, like, competitive magic yet, but, yeah, not gonna say never. All right, let's read this draft card and see if it could maybe make a splash in Constructed Mages Attendant to and a white creature cat rogue at Uncommon. This is a 3-2. When Mages Attendant enters the battlefield, create a 1-1 blue wizard creature token with pay one, sacrifice this creature, counter target non-creature spell unless its controller pays one. What do you think, CGB? Too chaffy or could this actually show up? People keep telling me that they're putting this in their party deck because it's a rogue and a wizard. <laughs> okay. And that Wait, it's not a wizard, but it um, Oh, that no, you're right, because it makes a wizard. Sweet. I got him. You got you me. Heard, you heard you got me. Not a wizard. Not a wizard. <laughs> We're all wizards. But yeah, now you can in white, you can turn one Usher of the Fallen, which is a warrior, turn two, mm. Luminarch Aspirant, which is a cleric, turn three, this, you have a full party. So what you want to do with your full party from there is, you know, the world's your oyster, probably play the four mana core that makes four one ones and makes everything indestructible. But I mean, I'm not excited or trying to do party things probably mm -hmm. ever again, to be honest. <laughs> I think that that mechanic was always a bit of a frustrating one, but I'm sure it did have its moment, of course. Anyway, I don't think this makes it in a normal, like, white deck. It's it's the casting cost, two and a white. You would need insane stats at this point to beat out Redain, Elite Spellbinder, Adeline, Brutal Cathar, Skyclave, Apparition, etc. I mean, this definitely reads as best against control. You know, if you're able to, like, play this on curve on the play and maybe delay them playing their sweeper by a turn, that you could still hurt. still have to have a mana, though. 
Like that's true. Like if it were sacrifice this creature to counter thing, like if you just had a force spike sitting on the battlefield, that would be one thing. But yeah, you know, aggro decks are mana hungry too. I think everything about Thalia is better against control and mages attended. So that's the example of a kind of card that's really competitive. Yeah, I don't necessarily think this one is. I don't know though. I mean, maybe the taxes add up, right? Curving Thalia into this makes an extra body. Yeah, I don't know. Non-believer. I'll be very okay. annoyed by it when it happens to me, but as far as yeah. it, like happening at the highest level, I don't think so. Let's quickly go over patch up, CGB. Patch up <laughs> is a very funny uh, art. Um, this is a two and a white for a sorcery, and it says, return up to three target creature cards with total mana value three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. So Ikaria had one of these. What was it called? You're thinking of Call of the Death Dweller. Yes, exactly. I suppose that gave stuff Death Touch and Menace. It was also in black, which is good at graveyard and dies triggers. So don't know if Patchup gets there, but it's a similar card to a card which saw a fair amount of play at times. I'll keep an eye on it. Just note that we, you know, we read that other white reanimator card. I wonder if there's some kind of like white weenie keep getting your stuff back. I mean, look, supposing you get that creature back and then that creature gets another creature back. That's pretty gas, right? Imagine all the get backs with the get back. And then you remember that there was that card. Oh, gosh, it's something savior. It's the an Dago? angel. Uh, I oh. think it's a guardian savior. It's three and a white, white from mythic three, three angel with flying. And oh, there's a battlefield two returns things two things. And then you yeah. think about how much that got played and you're like, uh, maybe that's not the way. <laughs> Maybe it's not the way. Okay. I'll let you pick next card here, ZGB. Yeah, I'm curious what you think of Sanctuary Warden. This is a four white white five five flying angel soldier at Mythic, and when Sanctuary Warden enters the battlefield with two shield counters on it. Two shield counters. Whenever Sanctuary Warden enters the battlefield or attacks, you may remove a counter from a creature or planeswalker you control. If you do, draw a card and create a 1-1 green and white citizen creature token. I definitely looked at this card as well. I definitely think it's got enough text on it to be interesting. I think that this card has some cool stuff going for it that Dr. Manhattan, aka the All-Seeing Arbiter, doesn't. We kind of trashed on that card last time we talked about this set. This could definitely be a player. I mean, six mana is a lot, so we have to keep that in mind. But, you know, ET being, drawing a card, making another creature, and then having the ability to potentially do all of that all over again, or just be a really sticky threat that's hard to remove. Being a 5-5 flyer is no joke. I wouldn't be surprised if this showed up. I'm really curious about playing it and removing other counters besides the shield counters. Mm. You think about just about any Planeswalker, any Planeswalker right now at a reasonable cost that had a minus of create a 1-1 and draw a card would be awesome. And you also have to remember the Planeswalker gets to activate its ability in addition to that because the yeah. remove a counter bit is from the angel attacking so or entering the battlefield. So that sounds like a very easy to forget about how good that is. Especially with the Wandering Emperor in the format. So that thing's dispensing counters. You could easily do something like flash in the Wandering Emperor put a counter on something next turn, put a counter on something else. You're already able to get some more value out of your sanctuary one kind of a thing. So definitely some powerful cards. The mana cost is the main issue with this card. You have to be thinking about a deck, which 
you know, white decks have tended to be aggressive or maybe doing a kind of go wide like Ozov thing at the moment. So this card doesn't necessarily slot into any existing archetypes in a convincing manner. But, you know, there's some ramp in this set. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in this set. So very powerful card to keep an eye on. Interested in what the next card you would talk about is. That's a good question. I mean, take a quick look, but I'm down to jump all the way to the Reservoir Kraken. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think if any of these really stood out to me. I even think this card's kind of weird, but yeah, go for it. All right. So the Reservoir Kraken is, first of all, a Kraken. So that's cool. People yell release the Kraken in every set now. Have you noticed that? Every set has yes. a Kraken? Yes, yeah, it's yeah. true. All right. So two and a blue, blue creature Kraken rare six, six trample ward two at the beginning of each combat. If reservoir Kraken is untapped, any opponent may tap an untapped creature they control. If they do tap reservoir Kraken and create a one, one blue fish creature token with this creature can't be blocked. I think this card is kind of interesting. For one thing, they have to have the creature to untap, which, you know, if they're generating tokens is easy. But if they aren't, if they can't keep or resolve a Planeswalker on the battlefield or something like that, it can be pretty hard and annoying to do so. And you're making more creatures every single turn and they can't be blocked. It seems like a good amount of value that's hard to kill. The Ward 2 is... Ward is annoying, man. This one reads to me as a no-go just based on like pretty much all of the creatures of this type in the past. Like I'm thinking of Clackbridge Troll as a good example that give you the option to turn it off for some downside or whatever. They just always seem to not quite get there. So I think based on the precedent, I expect this one not to get there either. It is a very annoying card. And I do think the ward too makes it significantly more annoying what's really funny is if you were like in a mirror where they don't play creatures and you sideboard this in right it's, it's your big move and the opponent sideboards it in too and you're both <laughs> just making all these fish and tapping their kraken oh, man and both sides are getting more unblockable it's, that, that would be pretty funny all right, so let me ask you this, because like we're seeing a lot of fish in this set. How powerful do you think these fish are? Like unblockable 1-1 one, one creature tokens. You know, we've been seeing them fly around with Kaito a little bit. How do you rate one of those? Well, I rate it higher the more you can play with Kaito, because that really is kind of the best use for it. They've been surprisingly effective. When I played with Kaito the first time, I was like, I'm never making a ninja. It's a terrible token. Terrible use of my two loyalty when I could be looking at more cards. The more I played that card, the more I made the ninja. And the more the ninja would go over there and just pick off a Lolth on one loyalty or keep the opponent from dropping a Lolth and minusing it for spiders. Or they'd play Sorin and they'd make the vampire and then I'd play Wandering Emperor and I'd plus it. And now the unblockable ninja kills the Sorin. And that became such a normal thing that happened that now I'm just wheeling and dealing ninjas. I think it's better than we think it is, but there's still room in that space for us for it not to be great. Good, not great. And I mean, the preponderance of cards like, I don't know, Meat Hook Massacre just make little dorky one ones less of an upside. So yeah, I mean, super weird card. Don't go out and craft this crafties. Wait for the big brains to do it instead. Let's talk about Undercover Operative. Two blue blue creature shapeshifter rogue at rare. It is a zero zero. 
You may have undercover operates who enter the battlefield as a copy of any creature on the battlefield, except it enters with a shield counter on it if you control that creature. These kind of cards haven't been getting there recently, although being able to make, you know, something with a shield counter on it, that's a pretty substantial upgrade. I want to copy the angel lord, the teenage angel girl. <laughs> Unfortunately, she's uh, legendary though, right? So, Oops. Well, Oops. now she has a shield uh, counter. Did so. it again. <laughs> now she has a shield counter. She is, this is All right, you know what I want to copy with this is another card that we're going to read soon, Titan of Industry. That's going to be a fun time. But basically, yeah, I think if you're playing like any kind of big finish him flashy do cool things kind of a card then you might consider this card. yeah that's a huge point to be honest because it feels like it's been a long time since agent of treachery right where they printed yep. an expensive card that you could cheat into play with a straight up etb effect not a you cast this from hand etb effect a straight up this enters the battlefield and you get this awesome payoff they haven't given us those huge cards that do that in a while reanimator and cheating stuff into play is just and ramping into stuff which i'm sure breaks your heart has been a losing strategy for a while because of it if those are back on the menu undercover operative gets very interesting very fast yeah it does and the the ability for it to copy your opponent's creature in a pinch i think is uh important as well if it's really not doing anything for you on your side you might be able to get some value copying like an opponent's gold spend dragon uh Whatever. Not a dead card for sure. Honestly, I think the presence of Glass Pool Mimic is the biggest threat to the use of this card because that card is just so good when you want the effect. And uh, it can be a land. It's cheaper than this card. So, however, if you have like some super copy deck, you can just run a bunch of both. And that's uh, pretty gnarly. Super copy deck. Let's go. Super copy. Sounds like a tier one archetype in the works. Let's talk about another card that might be draft chaff, but I don't know. Witness protection. One blue mana for an enchantment aura. Enchant creature. En enchanted creature loses all abilities and is a green and white citizen creature with base power and toughness 1-1 one, one named legitimate business person. <laughs> so I don't know. There must be a reason for that. But uh, <laughs> it's got to have a name, right? Yeah, I guess. You I need guess a new name a, when you're in witness protection. It's it's a flavor win. Um, oh, it is. I I think they created their own new meme of legitimate business person. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. But I'm sure that a lot of people have been asking you, CGB, the Blue Mage, about this card. So is this draft chaff, or could this actually show up? This could have a uh, sideboard spots in standard, maybe even historic, where it just turns off things that normally your color combination or your deck would not be able to interact with at a very, very low rate. It's an aura, so you can play it in, say, blue-white auras in historic, things like that, and get a lot of the triggers that you usually want to get, although some of those come from targeting your own cards, which you're not likely to do with witness protection. I think it will see fringe play in historic and standard because it's the cheapest rate we've had for this type of frogify type effect it might be the best commander card in the set mm, <laughs> in a very indeed. mean trolly way if you enjoy historic brawl i think that this card is in every brawl deck you play with blue it has a lot of uses i mean honestly even just like turning off your opponent's mana dark you know slowing down their luminarch aspirant or I, yeah i mean there's just like there's a lot of cool stuff this could do so i'll definitely keep an eye out for it where do you want to go next? Well, we're rolling into black. Let's just say we only read three blue cards. 
that's oh. uh, it's not great. I don't think I realized until this moment how bad it kind of got there. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's a bunch of cards we could have read that seem kind of meme and made for Commander. Like, for example, the uh, the Blue Sun Zenith of the set. We just don't yeah. even need to go into it. Yeah, but yeah, is like very played, right. I think could be a cool Commander card, but not going to get played in 60-card formats ever. Yeah, a little bleak for blue. Uh, no good counter spells, really. They reprinted Disdainful Stroke, but that got another reprint fairly recently as well. It does look a little bleak. Sorry to hear it, buddy. We like the uphill struggle in blue, so that's something. <laughs> Indeed. So what's jumping out at you? I feel like Angel Suffering and Body Launderer are memes. Let's read Body Launderer. I think people might try to play this card. So two black, black creature, Ogre Rogue at Mythic. It's a 3-3 with Death Touch. Whenever another non-token creature you control dies, a Body Launderer connives. And when Body Launderer dies, return another target non-rogue creature card with equal or lesser power from your graveyard to the battlefield. It's like a growing death touch threat, helps you keep turning through your library. When it dies, it gets something back from the graveyard. None of those things are bad, but this does just seem kind of like slow and dorky and not particularly impactful, right? The fact that when you play it on its own, it doesn't connive or have any trigger like when you cast it is pretty brutal. We've seen people try to make cards. I'm thinking of the, I think it's like Varys is the 3-3 elf, the venture card that whenever you play another creature ventures. Even with Ward, that card didn't get its trigger very often. It's hard to expect that you can get a ton out of Body Launderer, and at 4 mana, a 3-3 Death Touch isn't quite on rate. You know, it's no Rankle, that's for sure. <laughs> So I'm looking at this like a bit of a trap mythic, quite honestly. I'm surprised it is a mythic. Yeah, it looks definitely a little underwhelming to me. Not super excited to jump in and start playing with this card. Black's looking kind of bleak too, to be honest. I think Um, Extract the Truth is interesting. Okay, go ahead and read that for us. So I was on the fence about it. Yeah, Extract the Truth is a common, and it's a sorcery, and it's one and a black. You choose one, target opponent reveals their hand, you may choose a creature, enchantment, or planeswalker card from it, that player discards the card, or target opponent sacrifices an enchantment. It would be much better if it were an instant for the sacrifices and enchantment part, but they don't want to do that because of the discard part. So it's a little awkward, but there's a lot of flexibility here. You don't usually get a discard card or a removal card on the same card at a price of two mana. That's true. This is my question, though. What enchantment are you happy to kill with this? Because that's really what sets it apart, right? If I think about the enchantments seeing play in the format at the moment, they're all either sagas that got some of their money already, or they're like wedding announcement, which got some money already. What's that? Well, just a 1-1, right, usually? Yeah, or drawing a card. So it's not that you're like going to feel totally hosed if you have to point this at a wedding announcement. It's just a powerful permanent that you don't want to have on the battlefield. But, you know, oftentimes we've had stuff like um, Rites of Oblivion. You know, you get value out of it later, or maybe you get like a Binding the Old Gods, kills an enchantment, and then you, you know, get more value out of that one later. I don't know if I'm a buyer on this card, man. Certain meta games, definitely. But, you know, when you point this at your opponent's hand and they have an instant or sorcery that you really want to take that you can't, 
or an artifacts, that's going to feel pretty bad. I think you hope that you're hitting an enchantment because removal is better than discard normally anyway. And then you kind of cast it when you need to. It, I mean, there are the enchantment creatures. Hitting Jukai Naturalist is kind of important. People untapping with that is brutal. Hollowed Haunting yeah. gets played. Going to probably be a new, like a new raft of teleportation circle gamers hitting the ladder with this set. So uh, that's the thing too. Let's keep moving along here. Shakedown Heavy. This is definitely a card that people are going to try to play. Two and a black creature ogre warrior at rare. It is a 6-4 menace. Whenever Shakedown Heavy attacks, defending player may have you draw a card. If they do, untap Shakedown Heavy and remove it from combat. So this is the new Rotting Regisaur that they've introduced. What do you think, CGB? This card is okay. The fact that it untaps means, you know, it's available to block and... If you're drawing cards, you're probably getting ahead. So it's a Punisher mechanic, but it's on a really good body at a pretty low rate, and it's going to be really hard to block. The funny part is it'll probably literally never kill someone. That's They'll true. never actually <laughs> get there for lethal ever, probably. Yeah. Um, unless something really bizarre happens. Them letting you draw a card, they're not going to like that. So they're probably going to take more hits from this than they should, leaving them mm. in bad positions. And then they're going to have to kill this eventually anyway, or mm -hmm. you're just going to draw all the cards you need. It's a playable card, and I'm curious to see how it fits in. I worry with a card like this that if you're playing pure aggro, giving the opponent time is not okay. You know what I mean? I agree. I agree. Because your cards are indefinitely, you may be drawing more of them, but they're weaker. That's like the trade-off of aggro most of the time. So it can't yeah. go in like a low curve, dump your hand aggro deck. Like people are probably going to try to build for it. It has to be in something that has some powerful cards, maybe even has some answers so that if the opponent is just letting you draw multiple cards, that you're not just getting overpowered by their cards coming online, their deck getting to do what it does. So maybe it's yeah. more of a mid-range card. When I was looking at this, I was like, I think a skilled opponent will punish you for playing this card. They'll know how to play around it. I think like a skilled control mage will know when they can let you go up on card advantage and when they can't, when their life total is more important, that kind of thing. I expect this to be a high variance card in terms of how much success you see with it, depending on the skill level of your opponent. If I put myself in the seat, if you play a shakedown heavy, I'm just, I have the mana for say a memory deluge for that turn. I'm yeah. just going to let you have your card. Every yeah. time I can memory deluge, I'm just going to pick out better cards than the random things you'll draw off the top, and I'll just wait until I can wrath. Totally. Yeah, really interesting card. Cool design. <laughs> we'll see if it gets there. How about Tenacious Underdog? Tenacious Underdog, one and a black for a 3-2 rare human warrior. It has Blitz. So for two and a black black, you can pay two life to cast this spell for its blitz cost. It gains haste, and when this creature dies, draw a card. Sacrifice it at the beginning of the next end step. You may cast Tenacious Underdog from your graveyard using its blitz ability. That's a two-drop that keeps being a problem. If you're playing like a reactive deck, this card is going to be a pain in the rear. You're basically going to have to like take it out of that graveyard somehow, or you'll probably lose to it. The way I think of this card is torture for the decks I like to play, for control <laughs> decks. Just absolute torture, because their life totals rarely in jeopardy. So the, every opportunity you get, you can blitz this if you don't think it will get exiled. And I compare it to activating a creature land. 
that's kind of the play pattern, right? If you're playing aggro yeah. against control, you play some threats, they wrath, then you activate your creature land and you hit them. And hopefully they're dead or really close to dead. With this card, you activate it, you bring it back, you hit them, but then you also draw a card. Whereas usually when you're activating your creature land, you're not making any other kind of progress in the game. That's the price of creature lands. They're very good at kind of giving you a mana sink, but they don't get you further ahead in the game. And the risk of them is that they die and you're worse off than you were before because you spent your whole turn putting mana into the creature land. With this, you get the card. That's really mm -hmm. good. So right away, I was like, people are comparing it to Skyclave Shade. That's what I was doing at first. And then I was like, no, it's definitely not quite a Skyclave Shade. Skyclave Shade just always comes back and does the same thing unless you're sinking five mana and now you have a 5-3. But it can never block. It's always terrible on defense. And this, I mean, drawing cards. Drawing cards is great. This is really good sacrifice fodder because you can get it back later. It's good to sacrifice when you bring it back. And remember yep. Nixilis? We talked yep. about it two weeks ago now at the time so, they're hearing this. So that's the thing, right? Now we have like eight full slots of three powered two drops that you can put into that deck that both have value later on in the game. Pretty terrifying. I think it's like a top five card in the set. I'm kind of absurdly high on this card. I don't know where it ranks, but I definitely agree with you. Like this card looks like a player. <laughs> I'd be pretty shocked if it didn't show up somewhere. The format would have to be really hostile to it for it to not show up, I think. But on paper, I agree. One of the strongest cards in the set. This next card, CGB, has caused a fair amount of consternation on the internets for Magic playing gamers. And I think for good reason. I think it's less about the card and more about the precedent. So big score, three and a red instant at common as an additional cost to cast the spell, discard a card, draw two cards and create true treasure tokens. What does this one remind you of CGB? Oh gosh, where have I seen <laughs> this before? It was so long ago, literally last July. <laughs> yeah, as in, in the same freaking standard format we got almost exactly this card a pretty much strictly worse version of this card but still a very very good and playable card and that friends was unexpected windfall so we have like essentially like a functional reprint of that card with a small upgrade to the casting cost may end up being a big upgrade as this is a three color set what do you think about the precedent of that why does it feel so bad cgb i'm angry because <laughs> I play a lot of different decks, Arjuna, mm. but I love experimenting with the variety in control decks, even within like the popular archetype that I like to play. I like Demir control. I like Azorius control. I like Esper. I like to play all of it. Unexpected Windfall and Galvanic iteration has basically meant that along with the top end that they go to, like Leer, Goldspan Dragon, Holebreaker Horror, it basically means the right way to play blue for the last year has been is it always yeah. i mean you can play those other decks i mentioned but they're never the best not close and you know it the second you queue up against another blue mage playing is it they remind you every time you cannot beat galvanic iteration unexpected windfall Holebreaker horror leer goldspan dragon with blue and white cards or blue and black cards occasionally yeah. you will win but you will never be favored in that matchup. You don't have the tools. You know, the card selection combined with mana advantage is too powerful, and Galvanic Iteration is a brutal card to deal with. 
What makes me angry is I was looking forward to that not being the case. I was looking yes. forward to at least half of the pieces moving. Goldspan Dragon and Unexpected Windfall leaving means they have to find something else to do with Galvanic Iteration. They have to yes. find something else to do with Hullbreaker Horror if they want that to be good, Lear even. And now it's like, oh, okay. Well, Galvanic Iteration was in Midnight Hunt or Crimson Vow. Anyway, it was in an Innistrad set. So that's yeah. going to be around. Lear and Hullbreaker Horror are going to be around. Big score is now going to be there. So yeah. the deck is already half built for the next two years. And I roll. I don't want to play it. I don't want to play yeah. against it. And I don't want to play it. And it gets me angry, Arjuna. Angry. I'm very mad. Yes. I couldn't agree more. And I think, like, apart from anything else, it's just too soon. It's just like any way you look at it from a standard format perspective, from a card design perspective, from a taking an already really competitive card and just randomly making it better somehow. I think Unexpected Windfall was really maybe not a perfect card, but I think it was about as well designed as it could be to be like playable, but it was definitely a commitment, definitely a challenge to really work it into your deck. You just had to really go for it. There's several of those dials on this card that feel wrong. Like it just feels wrong to me. You know what this feels like? It feels like showing up to your ex-girlfriend's party, your recent ex-girlfriend's party with your new girlfriend. <laughs> That's what it feels like. <laughs> this is a pop song in the making. It, it feels dirty, and I don't like it, Wizards, going on record. Can we just not do that? I, there's so many other cards you could put in the set. I just yeah. imagine them playing like the draft format or something and being like, you know what, this needs unexpected windfall. And somebody being like, yeah, we can do that. Easy. And so, not thinking about any of what we just talked about. Isn't the sorcery version of this like the original one that they did? So Pirate's well, Pillage from Ixalan. Pirate's Pillage, right? Was exactly this card, but a sorcery. Am I right about that? I believe that is correct. If they just reprinted that card, it would have been good and limited, probably wouldn't have been constructed playable, and I think everyone's fine. I think that that's just awesome. Yeah, I see where you're coming from. But yeah. why did we have to basically power creep the already very powerful card? It's just, meh. Ugh, makes me angry. Just touch on this one quickly. Glittering stockpile, two and a red. Artifacts, treasure, tap, add a red, put a stash counter on glittering stockpile. Then you can tap and sacrifice glittering stockpile to add X mana of any one color where X is the number of stash counters on glittering stockpile. You got this so, stash. I don't know, man. I mean, big red decks are going to love this card. Decks playing that silly, the invocation or whatever it is that brings back six mana's worth of red spells or instant sorceries. Invoke I think Calamity. That, yeah, Invoke Calamity, right? Maybe it's a meme, but I could see this card that you just making, it's a mana rock for a couple of turns, and then you go off and win the game. What do you think? For now, it competes with Celestis, which is probably the best three-mana mana rock we've ever seen. So mm -hmm. it's going to struggle for a little while. It's definitely going to be a popular brawling commander card because its yeah. mana rocks are already great there. And this is a very, very good one because they usually don't come with this level of upside where you can pitch them for a ton of mana later. And yeah. in red, it's very powerful because it, you can bridge into big X spells, you know. Uh, just whatever your fireball can be. Yep, crackle with powers around for a little while longer. Yeah, this 
We'll probably see place somewhere, but it probably won't be ubiquitous, and I'd be surprised if it was at the really highest level. I think that's all that really needs to be said about it, but a cool card. I'd be surprised if it didn't show up somewhere. Um, what do you think of Goldhound? Yeah, I was on the fence about reading it, so let's talk about it. Go one into in it. a red for a 1-1 one, one. artifact creature treasure dog. <laughs> yes. First strike and menace. This is a common... And it also has the ability to tap and sacrifice Goldhound to add one man of any color. It's a Lotus Petal that also attacks and blocks. Yeah. I, I, you can't sacrifice it the turn you play it because it is a creature. Mm-hmm. It has summoning sickness. But it's kind of a lot, right? To just get a body, something that is a body that can be mana at some point, can mm-hmm. automatically, it kind of spins your head. Like, that's a lot of interesting text. Yeah, it is. It reminds me a little bit of Shambling Ghast. It's kind of like the red Shambling Ghast, but it kind of fills in a different thing. I mean, this could definitely go into Anvil decks, I could see, especially if those, you know, if someone's making like a little bit more of a costly anvil deck, like a little bit more of a mid-range anvil deck, let's say they're trying to make it Mardu and play Showdown of the Skulls. I don't know. That's the kind of deck that I could see this going into. I see um, people reading it and being like, what red deck, what creature deck is going to want to sacrifice their one drop for a mana? And let me tell you, if that comes to your mind... I can see why, because in your ideal world, you're curving and you're smashing, because that's how creature decks work. But just get a little notepad. I've got mine right here. (laughs) And while you're playing Arena, every time you come up one mana short of the cool play that would swing the game, just put a little check. And imagine that you could sacrifice a one drop that got in for like two or three damage to get that Mm -hmm. mana. I think this card is better than it looks. It's also an Mm -hmm. artifact which plays really well with cards like um, Patchwork Automaton and various other synergies from Kamigawa. I totally agree. Also, think about this. Think about how many times your one drop just ends up getting blanked by some random thing, right? Your opponent just plays a one to, uh, they put just enough on the board to where your one drops don't matter anymore. That can be a perfect transition from your early game to your mid game, right? You, you know, exactly like you said, you crack him for some damage. This thing has menace, so it's probably not getting blocked in the first couple turns of the game. And then, you know, right around the time when it starts to become obsolete, you use it to cast your gold spend dragon on turn four, and you feel good about that too. Another thing to note, if you play a gold spend dragon with this out, it can sack for two mana. So. Because it is a treasure. Because it is a treasure, right? Oh, (laughs) like butter. I think that works, Yeah, that does. Anything else that has treasure synergies, which is like this entire set, basically. Interesting card. Wouldn't be surprised if it ended up being a player. You know what's funny about all these treasures? Have you ever heard a mobster say the word treasure? No, I don't try think it. I try have. it. Give me, give me some mobster accent. And be like, we're getting our treasure. We're sacrificing it for mana. <laughs> hey, hey, my cousin. He's a treasure. He's the treasure of Jersey. Okay, yeah. there you go. It's it's cousins Frankie Valley. Their cousin is always Frankie <laughs> Valley. All right, cool. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? But uh, yeah, I mean, it's a good point you raised. They they just needed riches, right? They just needed that cheddar. Should have been make a cheese token. <laughs> Honestly, that's what they should have done. They should have yeah. tokens that are cheese, cheddar, uh, score, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. The dough. 
the whatever. And, and, <laughs> That's what they It ain't have. treasure, it's cheddar. They they can all be like treasure, unquote, you know, like like this is an artifact slash treasure, but you know, yeah. they should all have like the tokens should all have these names and what they should make should be these names. Because <laughs> I yeah. can't picture mobsters saying the treasure. We're getting to the <laughs> guys, mount up, we're going out, we're getting to treasure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah all of the non-native english speakers listening to the show are just like what the hell is going on right now but anyway fun times on the arena craft podcast again i'm having trouble picking the next card to read here how about i don't know if this gets there but rob the archives one in a red sorcery casualty one exile the top two cards of your library you may play those cards this turn not having the clause that you can play them until the end of your next turn is a severe downtick over similar effects that have done this kind of thing recently. But, you know, the ability to like sack a dork and look at four cards for two mana, that's pretty nice, right? When you need something specific, I mean, you'll mm -hmm. definitely probably hit a land or two and you only mm -hmm. get to play one because you have to do it this turn. So the more lands you hit, kind of the more whiff, but then again, you could say those lands aren't on top of your deck anymore. If you're playing kind of an old school red deck where now we dig up our burn spell and we win, like this goes deep. Spoiler alert to crafties. They've put a number of this kind of effect in the set and they've just been printing more cards like this recently. I think they're trying to get like more red card draw into standard. Yeah. And um, they do seem to be flooding us with options, which this feels like, a one or two of at most because i think mm -hmm. reckless impulse is better a good amount of the time and that doesn't see by any stretch of the imagination nobody's starting every deck with four of those no indeed moving along here okay how about this one unlucky witness very similar card one red mana creature human citizen at uncommon one one when unlucky witness dies exile the top two cards of your library until your next end step you may play one of those cards so Note that if you sack this on your opponent's turn, you get more time to look at and potentially play those cards. That's like quite a lot of upside, right? If you hit this thing like on your opponent's turn, you hit this thing with Deadly Dispute, it's going to give you a lot of options for your next turn. Has Red ever had a one mana just value card? Like we think of like maybe Fanatical Firebrand at its best trades one for one. A blood token isn't a one-for-one one trade. You need another card to turn it into something. But this straight up, when it dies, you get another card if you are able to cast either of the two cards you exile, which you got to assume in a low-curve red deck can't be impossible. It can also hit land, right? Mm -hmm. You may play one yep. of those cards. Yep. Yeah, if you sack this to a deadly dispute, you could easily draw two cards from the dispute, make a treasure, play a land next turn, and play the card you hit with this next turn. That's a massive, massive card advantage swing. Yeah, you still have two new cards in your hand. I feel like they're trying to make shambling gas for everyone. I'm waiting for the blue <laughs> one. Be. Blue is like the card draw color. What's going to be my blue one drop that when it dies, I get a card somehow, right? Or, or are we just never going to do that? Do no. only the aggressive colors get this kind of thing? They just don't like your style, CGB. You got to work for a living, man. Yeah, it's, it's hard. <laughs> uh, this card is cool, though. And it's yeah. low enough that you don't talk about exile effects really on really low cost cards because exile mm -hmm. removal usually costs a decent amount and people want to point it at decent cards so you don't worry about this getting exiled too much but maybe it is time to play flame blessed bolt you know like yeah. this card's really good 
This card is very good. This is actually worryingly good if the shell that it's you know built around it is is right. I'm actually kind of shocked to read this. They could have easily made it one card and it still would have been like pretty playable. Definitely keep an eye on that for sure. I think that's red. I think we did it yeah. with red. Red is, yeah. as usual, looking all right and continuing to get more like just card and item advantage. They just seem to make more treasures and see more cards than a lot of colors lately. Yeah, red's kind of going off lately. I'm surprised that we haven't had any like you know, reveal half your deck in one turn, kind of go off red decks yet. They seem to have been doing a good job of preventing that from happening, but I feel like all the pieces are there. So yeah, I feel like they keep printing those pieces and then eventually they're going to print like a mana free open-ended sack outlet and yeah, boom, suddenly we're we're drawing our whole deck. Bergy is still in the format. Remember when we were afraid of Bergy? Yeah, I could definitely see some of this stuff showing up in Historic for sure. All right, getting into green here. We have to do the stash. Just a meme on the treasure. Really? We have okay. to do the stash. All right, take, take us into that. Bootlegger's stash is five and a green for an artifact. It is a mythic, and it gives lands you control the ability to tap, create a treasure token. More <laughs> so, treasure. Just clearly one of the most ridiculous cards ever printed. It's fitting they'd print this card in this set. If I was memeing on this set, I would have designed this card. I actually did. I put a meme out on the Twitters, which was Zeatara's ultimatum. It was like the Jund ultimatum, and it says create 50 treasures. And the funny thing is, like, that's a total meme. But when you think about the set, it wouldn't shock me at this point. Why not? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Here we are. I mean, highly unlikely to see play in 60 card formats, right? I think so. I showed off uh, a combo from my own brain to my chat. Belladros Witherbloom is still in the format. Okay. Which is, if you remember, it's a seven mana for a four, four dragon, and you can pay 10 life to untap all lands you control. Right? That's fun. So, I mean, you just, if, if you have some like life gain source, you just go. Is there something where whenever an artifact enters the battlefield under your control, you gain a life? Then. You did it. You so know? that's what I was wondering, right? That's what, that's where this card starts to get really busted. I can't think of anything. I mean, there's right. going to be all kinds of stuff in other formats, but in standard, I don't think we have anything that rewards us for an artifact entering the battlefield. There are some cards that allow you to change the token. This is another green card that we'll read eventually. Dark Steel Reactor, I think. Now I'm the one who doesn't know, but it's like one in a red for an artifact, and whenever an artifact enters the battlefield, you put a counter on it, and for four mana, you tap it and sacrifice oh, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. and you dome Wait, Is that any artifact, or is it non-token artifact? I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's an artifact. That could be a kind of unwieldy combo. But yeah, we're looking for things like that. And yeah. even then, it's probably jank and nonsense and magical Christmas land. This card, to me, is the set. It's the most <laughs> no, commander right. set ever posing as a non-commander set. Yes. It's such a pile of memes on piles of memes. I don't yeah. know, man. It feels really weird. I thought Strixhaven was a weird combination of inspired from another IP and awkward and bad going for a vibe that I don't think got there. This yeah. set is... The vibe is there. It feels really really like it went too far i agree dude this is like peewee herman's playhouse yes that's great that is a great (laughs) a great way to put it yeah it's the kind of thing where like 
it's so funny to see people on social media reach that breaking point with the set. It's like first week of spoilers, we had a couple of people pop off and then they kept coming out. And by now, I feel like just about everyone has posted something on Twitter being like, what the F is this card? What the F is this set? What are we doing here? Speaking of treasure, um, this next card I'm going to read, I think is no joke. And it is a treasure card. So <laughs> let's get into that. Jewel Thief. Two and a green. Creature Cat Rogue at common. 3-3 three, three, Vigilance Trample. When Jewel Thief enters the battlefield, create a treasure token. Just a solid little value creature. It's going to clog up the ground. In aggressive decks, it's going to keep moving your game plan forward. In reactive decks, it's going to give you the mana to do stuff. Defend your Planeswalkers, defend your life total. It looks like a banger to me. I definitely plan on putting this card in decks and seeing how it plays. What do you think? When I sh had this card on stream on Thursday, I said, this is going to be Arjuna's pet card. <laughs> Dude, oh, <laughs> for sure. What um, does this card not do for you? I love it. I like the comparison of this to Briarbridge Tracker, which sees mm. some play, but mm. not a ton. Oh, Jewel Thief, not close. Let's really? go. <laughs> are, are you serious? <laughs> I'm not sure that I'm serious, but I will say this, that, okay, I think this is a good split between you and me, CGB. Because you like card advantage and I like mana advantage. This is my what I posit, right? Is that I think that magic lately has been more about mana advantage than it has been about card advantage. And it's one of the reasons why I, in all seriousness, I think I would pick Jewel Thief over Briarbridge Tracker in the average deck that I would like to build. Obviously, you're the grind master. So Briarbridge Tracker is a perfect card in a situation like that. But I think it's a fair comparison. And I actually, I don't necessarily think that Jewel Thief is the inferior card. Okay. And no, you make a good case. I'm going to play this card in like all the Brawling Commander probably because Man Advantage, I will grant you, is 100% more important there. I don't know. On an individual power level, I guess I have to attack with this 3-3 Vigilance Trample a few times and really see and feel the size of the body on the battlefield. I feel a big difference when I'm swinging for four from when I'm swinging for three. Mm -hmm. So I, I got to see where it falls. Yeah, I agree. I think this is less of an aggressive card. In my mind, I see this as like a defensive ramp card. You know, I've played a lot of Quandrix Cultivator. I've played enough Quandrix Cultivator to know the value of a creature that makes mana and is thick enough to tangle, thick enough to make your mono white opponent respect you. So yeah, Jewel Thief for me, like kind of dots the I's and cross the T's, as it were. It's always interesting with cards like this. Either they get there or they don't. So like when Innkeeper was spoiled, for example, we were like, is this card good? Maybe, maybe not. That card turned out to be an absolute staple. And I think this card could be every bit as much of a staple as that card is, but we will have to see. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about this. Like in Gruel Aggressive decks, being able to drop this on three and then just drop a gold span the next turn and get in there, it sets you up quite well, I think. I'm really curious, based on your take on this card, what you'll think of another card that's coming up. It's going to be fun. <laughs> okay, okay. Speaking of the next card, I don't know what it's going to be. I'm on my way uh, to Titan of Industry. Oh, dude. Oh, yes. Okay, so CGB, step out of the way because it's... I don't know if I read the last card, but I'm reading this card. <laughs> I'll, I'll so. just be in my corner. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. We might be here a while. CGB opens his, uh, what is that, a Pepsi? Oh, no, it's a Mountain Dew, of course. How dare I blaspheme on CGB's soda choices. So... Titan of Industry, in addition to being a sweet card, this is a sweet little play on words. Uh, 
This is basically a skyscraper titan. The art's super cool on this. The flavor's cool. The pun is cool. Everything about this card is cool. So it is four green, 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 a seven drop. It's a seven, seven. It's a mythic creature elemental. It has reach and trample. When Titan of Industry enters the battlefield, choose two, two, not one of these options. Being first one, destroy target artifact or enchantment, or target player gains five life, or create a 4-4 green rhino warrior creature token, or put a shield counter on a creature you control. So if Titan of Industry resolves, it does your taxes. It's hard to imagine this not having two modes that are going to be relevant on the board you're casting it into. So let's take us into a couple of examples here. If you're getting beaten down, this can create a 7-7 blocker, a 4-4 blocker, and gain you 5 life, which is like, if you're still in trouble against your aggressive opponent, I have to give a hats off to them because they're doing a great job of killing you. If you play against control and this resolves, heaven forbid, you can put a shield counter on your 7-7, make a 4-4, and then just see if any of the other modes are useful to you. So that's going to be kind of a nightmare for a control opponent to have to deal with as well. And then if anyone's memeing around with some kind of silly mid-range wedding announcement, make a bunch of planeswalkers, Ozov nonsense, you can you know put this down and blow up their wedding announcement. You have a 7-7 trample that can hopefully get in there and threaten their planeswalkers. Basically, I'm having a really hard time imagining what matchup this card is not that good in. You did well. You sound like you've been preparing that monologue since the moment you read this card. Like you fell asleep. You probably practiced it in the shower. You know, that's what I do. When I got a good one, you know, and I'm eager to podcast, I'm like in the shower being like, this is how I'm going to describe the joy that comes with this new counter spell. (laughs) It's been happening involuntarily for me. So, yes. It's the giant body that is hard to remove because you can always put a shield counter on it. And it's an ETB. So this is the thing that has kind of been missing for a while. And in green, which has been very Mm. strange. But Mm -hmm. I I do think it's the Agent of Treachery effect. I think they've been gun-shy ever since Agent of Treachery to make big body with big ETB. They've just been avoiding it. This is big body. This is big ETV. It's even hard to kill because of the shield counter, as if the 7-7 weren't enough. And it goes on to two bodies, so... Like, if they Wrath and it's a destroy effect, it's not Farewell, it just kills the shield counter. (laughs) And they still have a 7-7 Reach Trample. The Reach makes sense for this card because it's freaking huge, but that's also huge on the battlefield because the opponent can't attack over the top. And that's where the 5 life is just, like, even extra gravy. They can't burn you. They can't fly over you. They can't get through you on the ground. And maybe you blow up an Artifact Enchantment while you're at it for just reasons it's a lot it's good if there is reanimator if there is cheat into play of some kind or if there is solid ramp this is a player with all of the spoilers of this set every time an expensive card gets spoiled i'm like is this the new top end is this the new top end in a green ramp deck we've been missing it frankly for kind of a while and you know i was hoping for ultimatums or ultimata However you say that word, plural, because, you know, come on, three color set full of treasure. I'm still shocked that we didn't get a cycle. I am blown away. 
that we yeah. don't have an ultimatum cycle. Of Just, all the memeing stuff, there they said that was too far. Or you can't dude. tell me it never occurred to them. Of course, if they're Maybe like, they were we like, just did that in Ikoria, we did that like two years ago, so we don't want yeah. to do it again too soon. But then they they print the freaking you know uh, luxury, <laughs> yeah. which is the unexpected windfall reprint. Like, what? yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> It boils my blood too, believe me, CGB. But this was my consolation prize. This was my consolation prize. This card is worth ramping into. This card is worth cheating into play. It's worth jumping through hoops for this card. Uh, it's just terrifying. I mean, look at it. It's nasty. You're, uh, you're right. It's like exactly farewell is the answer to this card. Or, you know, a council spell, obviously. Is a sag. You feel bad if this gets hit by a disdainful stroke. But apart from that, what a card. I'm definitely going to be finding out with this card. I'm, this is going to be a far off craft on day one. And we're going to, we're going to be jamming it. I got to say it. This plus a Seeker's Chariot. Yes. Did it. <laughs> yes. Here's the thing I have to do. And I, I feel bad about it. I have mm. to ask the crafty nation in the comments, guys, do you think that Arjuna? will feel bad about his four mythic wild cards a week after crafting Titan of Industry. <laughs> Are we going to get an Arena Craft podcast? If we do, it'll probably be the last episode of this show ever. <laughs> of Arjuna just like, I'm so upset that I spent mythics on this. <laughs> oh my goodness. I really hope not. Let me just sit, put that on the record. For the content, it's all content, but I do hope not. <laughs> I'll go on the record by saying that I'm definitely not convinced this is the truth, and I'm definitely not convinced that Green Ramp is back on the map. But this is my best bet, dude. I mean, this like since they printed Storm the Festival, this is my best bet for what I'm trying to do next. You have this, Ugh. and you have Vivian on the hunt to just burn some wild cards and see what happens. Oh, baby. I'm thinking Titan goes in first. <laughs> I don't know about Vivian. So take us into this next card, CGB. Is this the card that's going to help us get to Titan of Industry? I'm going to read this card, but I want to hear you talk about this card. Okay. The, okay. Like, like from the first moment I saw this card, I was like, help, I need an Arjuna. <laughs> he will know immediately if this is the truth or the scam. All right. This is Topiary Stomper. This is one and a green green for a rare 4-4 plant dinosaur creature. It has vigilance, and when Topiary Stomper enters the battlefield, search your library for a basic land, put it onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle. Also, unfortunately, isn't just pure upside. Topiary Stomper can't attack or block unless you control seven or more lands. What a design. It's a total conundrum. This card asks the question, am I good enough? I mean, it may as well, that may as well be the flavor text on the card. Am I good enough? The card that I reach to in order to try to get a gauge for how good this is going to be is Field Trip. Field Trip basically did the same thing, which is nothing except ramping a land for three mana, right? So the question is, is having a 4-4 Vigilance that can't attack or block, but can do other things that a 4-4 creature can do, is having that on the battlefield not doing anything for a, potentially a couple or a bunch of turns, is that better than getting a random learn card? I don't know. It's going to be format dependent. 
So that's the thing. I was never a huge fan of Field Trip to begin with. I actually believe that out of the two of us, I think CGB was the the Field Trip player. So I actually think that you'll have some useful input on this because I tended to be a like ramp on two, play a four drop, go from there kind of a gamer. But I will say that I've played enough Quandrix Cultivator to know that mana ramp creatures with decent bodies can actually be very, very important. Another thing that's interesting to think about in this format is that we have a bunch of cards that can go into a curve of doing nothing into doing a lot all at once. So let's say, for example, you play a Zeus's Many Journeys on two, you get an extra land out. You play Topiary Stomper the next turn, you get another land out. You've not affected the board in any way. But then maybe the following turn, if I'm doing my math right, you made an extra land drop on turn two, right? So you're at three mana. On turn three, you play the Stomper, you're at four mana. You can play another land drop, five mana. And then on turn, whatever the next turn is, you can play six mana, right? So you're already yeah. like yeah. kind of getting there. You could have a turn where like you play your seventh land drop, you slam your Titan of Industry. All of a sudden you have your Titan, you have a Rhino, you have a Topiary Stomper, and you have a 3-3 three, three from the Azusas. Many journeys. Anyway, I didn't say all of that very well, but the point that I'm trying to make is that you might have this point in the game where on like turn five or six, you just like turn the corner and all of a sudden you have a massive board presence. During that time, the opponent, you know, could be making their small and mid-range creature battlefield, but then all of a sudden they wake up and their creatures are all smaller than yours. Indeed. Honestly, I wish I had like a, a really strong opinion about this card. This is another one where I, I'm going to craft four of them and I'm just going to find out. Okay. Um, okay. But <laughs> one thing that I have to note about this, Topiary, Stomper, and Treasure, not friends. So if you're going to be ramping with this card, you need other cards that put out lands. Like I can't stress that enough. I'm not sure that like I'm positive on this one. But I think that you have to be like an Azusa's Many Journeys gamer to play Topiary Stomper. I think that you have to find as many ways as you can to actually put lands onto the battlefield, because otherwise this card is really not going to be good enough. Azusa's Many Journeys, Emergent Sequence, Topiary Stomper, a Field mm -hmm. Trip or two, Quandrix Cultivator, mm -hmm. Titan of Industry, something that keeps you from dying. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, Ren man. Seven? Yeah. Yeah, yeah Renan Seven. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I this crews Chariot. It does crew Chariot. It also crews Bankbuster, which some people have mentioned. So putting vehicles in your deck is a way to not get totally owned playing Topiary Stomper. If you have any fight effects, which maybe don't fit into a deck like that, but you can get some value off of that as well. And then, you know, another thing to note is like cards like this make Tamio better, right? You can play some vehicles. You can get this back from the graveyard with Tamio and ramp again. I don't know. I'm just memeing around here, but <laughs> it's starting to come together as a potential deck in my mind. Evil CGB really wanted to interrupt your beautiful story to say no, because you hit all your land drops in that example. That's not going to happen. <laughs> That's. This is the problem. One in five games, I'm going to curve out beautifully and You're the angels will sing. You're going to for the rest of your life. That, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I've played too many games of magic in decks like these to think that that happens all the time. Anyone's guess, crafties, this is a 50-50 deck for sure. But I'll be damned if I won't be right there on day one trying to make it work. I have a deck right now. It is a land-themed control 
deck. It's like Bant, and I'm working on it. Um, this is a current standard MTG Arena deck. It has 35 lands, Arjuna. And I wanted to tell you about this deck because I actually found it. In experimenting with this deck, when I hit 37 lands, the shuffler in best of one started giving me five land hands. 37 land is all, all it right. takes. That was the threshold. Yeah, I want you to know. So if you want to get back right. into best of one, start your deck building with 37 freaking lands for Asusa's many journeys and get it. Get it, Arjuna. Chase the dream. So what, is, what does this mean? I have to play Amiria's Call. I'm not even playing Amiria's Call. So I'm not playing any DFCs because really? I'm not sure how those influence the how algorithm. How affects the yeah. algorithm. Yeah. Wow. 37 actual lands. Yeah. Some of you at home are wondering what this is. This is a Slogark the Overslime deck. <laughs> with <laughs> Nice. It's five color, thanks to the World yeah. Tree, and it runs all the channel lands from Kamigawa. Oh, sick. If you haven't actually seen that, when you channel Takanuma, the Abandoned Mire, with the Overslime on the battlefield, and you mill three, and the land goes to the battle to the graveyard, this can potentially get plus four, plus four to the Overslime, and then you can, anytime it leaves the battlefield, you just get it back. Like, you use the Takanuma to keep getting the overslime it's really Dude, funny slogak is one of those cards like when it looks bad it looks so bad and when it looks good it's like holy crap yeah sorry but. to derail the set review i just really i've wanted to tell arjuna <laughs> about this i've really been looking for an opportunity to let him know dude it was worth every minute so there's that fun how about all right is thrag tusk back cgb workshop warchief is here it's not quite thrag tusk but let's read it and let the the listener viewer decide three and a green green rare five three rhino warrior with trample when workshop warchief enters the battlefield you gain three life when workshop warchief dies create a four four green rhino warrior creature token blitz is four green green I wasn't playing Magic when Thrag Tusk was making its glorious debut on the stage. So Crafty's Thrag Tusk is a very, very similar card. My notion, and I've heard some other content creators that I respect who were playing during the Thrag Tusk days uh, say this as well, but my notion is that we've come a long ways since cards like this being good. This still just kind of reads like Boomer Magic to me. I think that we expect our five drops to do more these days. And the benefits of this card, I feel like they don't quite hold up anymore. So that's my that intuition Thrag about it. Yeah. Did you know that Thrag Tusk is in Historic? I did. Yeah. I've played against it. Um, I don't think I've ever put it in a deck. I've seen it in Cube. I've seen it a little bit in uh, Historic Brawl. Yeah. It's never once impressed me. I'll say. It's been yeah. there for a while and seeing almost no play. It's a card that got outmoded, but it also didn't get a chance in standard again. Honestly, Thrag Tusk was never that deep of a multi-format all-star. It, it defined mm. standard because on its own, it entered the battlefield and stabilized games from the Rakdos and uh, Mono Red decks of the time. Does this card do the same thing? First of all, the villains are different. I don't think Mono White is turned off by a 5-3 five drop that gains three mm -hmm. life the way a red deck would be there's also this nasty little bit where it says when it dies create a four four green rhino warrior token whereas thrag tusk the thing that you abused with it was that it said leaves the battlefield yeah so you could blink it with the bff and probably the true rock star of that standard format restoration angel that's what really i think made thrag tusk thrag tusk and, and it doesn't work here but 
This yeah. is a different card. For one thing, Thragtus did not trample. I believe. I'm 99% sure that Thragtus didn't trample. Yeah, no, you're and, right about that. Yeah, Kessig Wolf Run was actually used in decks to give it trample. That's one thing. The other thing is Blitz. This coming down with haste mm. is a very different vibe from Thragtusk, who came down and stabilized battlefields and normally didn't start attacking for a while, you know, or if it did, it was easily chump blocked. So between the Blitz and the Trample, this is a much more aggressive card. And mm. when you do Blitz this card, it is expensive, but you get all of it. You get five damage, mm -hmm. you get three life, you get the four, four, you draw a card. That's a lot. It's a lot. I'm curious lot. to see where this, do they find a good way to play this card? It's really expensive, especially for the Blitz cost. But the Blitz, I think, sets it as a very different card from the one that we're talking about. The more I read this card, the more I think about Obnexilis. I feel like this card is one of the possible checks on that card in this format. So if you think about that, Obnexilis, what's it do? It's... Uh, Chasing after your life total, it's making dorky little blockers, it's in an aggressive Rakdos-based deck. This is a card that I think faces off pretty well against decks like that. Gains you life, it tramples over the blockers to kill out Nixilis, it leaves behind a 4-4, which is also a good blocker. So, you know, maybe I just made that up, maybe that's not where it sees play at all, but that's the kind of problem that I see Workshop Warchief solving in the format. All right, we are into gold, and... This set has a lot of gold, so I guess we have it to does. keep going and going at a pretty good rate. But we've talked about yep. a lot of them already, so where do we yes. go here? Black Market Tycoon we have not discussed. Oh, boy. So this, uh, this one's a banger. You want to take us into this? Okay. Black Market Tycoon is a red and a green 2-2. Creature Cat Rogue at rare. At the beginning of your upkeep, Black Market Tycoon deals two damage to you for each treasure you control. Tap, create a treasure token. You think this is a banger. Yeah, I think this card is definitely worth consideration. First things first, it's a 2-2 mana dock, which is pretty good. It's also capable of stacking up the treasure, but you don't have to. So I like the fact that this gives you a choice over like, do I want to save some mana and take some damage? Or do I want to just spend the mana every turn and take no damage? I think that's enough versatility to make this card a looker. You know, a double colored mana dock... <laughs> Yeah, it's always kind of questionable, right? We had Root Coil Creeper, which I've played plenty of, and uh, it can suck to be forced to have two colors to get your mana dock out on turn two. You know, I think this one's like not an instant format staple, but honestly, it might be. This card could be good. What do you think? If we end up with something like a Corvold, where wherever you sacrifice a treasure, you draw a card, like you get really paid for your treasure, I could see it, but I don't think this is good. I think this is a bad mana dork. Why? Harder to cast, just 2-2 two, two on turn 2, not too exciting. You compare it to, like, Kessig Naturalist, and that card has a lot more text and a bit more upside and doesn't see a lot of play. Tangle Florahedron can be more resilient because you can just play it as a land when you need a land. But if you do stack the treasures, you have to take damage for it, and if you play any other treasure synergy, you risk taking damage for it unless you sack your treasures at the right time. I don't see why you would run this if you want mana and you need to fill a two spot on your curve, it seems like there are just a lot of better ways to do it. Yeah, I mean, I think it all comes down to like how you visualize your curve, what else is in your deck. But I think that it affords you enough. It has enough like opportunity. I think that there are going to be plenty of times where you're like, 
I just want to get my gold spend dragon down early and I'm willing to take a little damage to do it. Let's not underestimate the fact that like if you make a treasure on turn three with this and don't spend it, and then on the next turn, like it's really ramping you. I still don't see it, dude. It feels like a worse way to get it, if that mm. makes sense. Mm -hmm. This or Magda. That's um, a good comparison. This or Innkeeper. Another good comparison. Innkeeper only makes one treasure, right? It's also a 1-1, one -one, so it's just like a lot less relevant. But I mean, you do get the treasure immediately out of Innkeeper. So, I mean, they're definitely competing for a slot. There's no question. My intuition tickles me and tells me this is a good card. But that's honestly my biggest push towards it is just that I looked at it and something was like, hmm, this card's going to be good. Everybody gets free treasures now. <laughs> We're just not true. used to it. Yeah. You're nothing special, kid. There you go. Go back to Jersey. There you go. Let's see. What do you want to hit next here? Okay, next we have... Endless Detour is a green, white, and blue for an instant rare. The owner of target spell, non-land permanent, or card in a graveyard puts it on the top or bottom of their library. So Ether Gust is back and looking good. So far, I've heard like a lot of divide by zero compare in so much as I'm like, guys, it's not divide by zero because there's no card advantage. You don't get a lesson from it. This is one for one for sure. And sometimes yeah. it's card disadvantage if you target your own stuff, which is an option, but sometimes it's worth it. I do get a little tired sometimes of arguing with Twitch chat about why cards are different, especially when they're like divide by zero. Somebody said to me, I quote, divide by zero was never card advantage. Uh, you just can't argue with that, I guess. <laughs> I, yeah, I guess we're done here. This is a very different card, but in Bant specifically, maybe green, white, splash, blue, or blue, white, splash, green, removal was a big problem, especially universal yes. removal. And with yes. the lack of divide by zero, you really felt it. It was really hard to solve your problems. And this doesn't permanently solve a lot of problems, but it definitely makes things more frustrating for people jamming large cards or jamming setups of like, I play this and then I cast this targeting this and, you know, we go from there. So yeah. very good card. Um, Goldspan Dragon players will not enjoy having to cast their gold spans over and over. Whereas before no. it seemed like they just slam them and then protect it with negate and you get wrecked just to understand the possibilities of the card. You can target a spell in your graveyard and put it on top of your library pretty cool cool yeah mm -hmm. for a card that's also removal yeah it's gonna be a nice little end step like surprise my titan of industry is coming back or whatever a very versatile card there are gonna be play patterns with this card that we didn't foresee that are gonna be really awesome i think in my mind the only question is like how playable is bent is it gonna be worth like you said splashing this into a color combo. Doesn't it but, seem I easy, mean, to be honest? I do want yeah. to talk about this, and I wasn't sure where to yeah. talk about it. Triome, Chill Land 1, Chill Land 2, a couple pathways. Say that you're blue-white, you can have 14 sources of green pretty yep. easily, sacrificing no, right. almost nothing. You're right, and then there's a bunch of treasure. So, yeah, I think if you want this card, you can definitely have it. Getting this into, like, Esper or whatever, like, that's an interesting question in my mind, right? Is do we, like, splash around for color for this? I don't know. But it is a powerful card. Like, for any of you who weren't playing when Ether Gust was just, like, a total staple in the format, that card was real annoying. Now, this casting one more mana is, like, a real hit. Being able to answer something at two mana was, like, a real... That was a staple in the format, especially with Nissa Combining Nissa Who Shakes the World... 
with breeding pool, uh, Oko, with Uro, some of the hydroid crisis, these cards existed. Exactly. So, I mean, th- this was truly some degenerate stuff that was happening then. So this is substantially worse for that. However, the flexibility, I think, is very hard for me to imagine this not being a staple in the format. Agreed. And degenerates like me, I'm excited that with two of these, I never deck. So I can play yes. control with no win cons <laughs> whatsoever, other than looping endless uh, detours until the opponent decks. That is truly the endless cyst of detours. <laughs> so yeah, get used to that, crafties. Coming to a best of one queue near you. Next we have... This is an interesting card, so let's just talk about it. Incandescent Aria. This costs a Naya. So red, green, white. For a sorcery at rare, Incandescent Aria deals three damage to each non-token creature. Is this just like a total nothing card, or do we think that this could get there? No. There are several decks that I've brewed that are powerful, but we're missing a card like this for best of one. Because in best Mm. of one, you really need some kind of sweep. Like, playing a mid-range deck is such a conundrum because you usually don't play sweepers in mid-range. So playing a card like this to have something against decks like Mono White and other go-wide strategies is actually really important. So when you think about this card, I want you to think about Isika's Chariot and the Wandering Emperor and all these mid-rangey ways to make tokens, Wedding Announcement, maybe Renin 7. There's a lot of ways that you can build a deck with very powerful 3s, 4s, and 5s that make tokens. And the the scourge of that is Thalia. Mm. Thalia is an mm-hmm. absolute beating to that deck. But uh, mm. And, you know, Hopeful Initiate, Thalia, etc., etc. But Incandescent Aria does give you an out to that that didn't exist before. Yeah, that's true. And I keep thinking about the Wandering Emperor. Such a good card. Will go into pretty much any Incandescent Aria deck as far as I'm concerned. Another thing I like about this is like when you make tokens, oftentimes you get outclassed by your opponent's creatures. And one of the things I love about this card is that you can swing into your opponent's board and they have to worry about if you're going to follow up with Incandescent Aria. Let's say you have like four or five tokens, they're all dorky, one-ones, whatever, right? You swing in, your opponent has a couple of good blocks. They have to wonder, like, is it worth it for me to lose both of these blocking creatures? And my opponent keeps all of the tokens that got through. So I think this is going to, like the Wandering Emperor, it's going to make blocks harder in a lot of cases. So very versatile card. And the real question is whether the three damage is going to be enough damage enough of the time. Yep, agree. All right. Do you want to read for us Ginny Faye Jetmia's second? Okay. This is a hybrid gruel green hybrid Selesnia. For a 3-3 legendary creature elf druid at rare, if you would create one or more tokens, you may instead create that many 2-2 green cat creature tokens with haste or that many 3-1 green dog creature tokens with vigilance. We really did it, CGB. So our black market treasure maker is now making cats. Or dogs. Yep. It's going to be raining cats and dogs. I think this card could definitely be really good. CGB. There's a lot of ways to crank out free tokens, right? Yeah. Like silly amounts. While yep. this doesn't look like it does anything the turn that you play it, if you have an Adeline on the battlefield or a wedding announcement, it does something the turn that you play yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't that sound juicy? You know what I'm thinking? Big score, dude. 
Gang score? No, no, no. Now you're <laughs> yes. You're throwing you're throwing some real uh, like just cold water on. The, okay, you can play this with big score, but what if you just play to Sika's chariot? Also I guess good. You have some dog choices. Also good. <laughs> or you make those tutus with haste, right? Making the tutus with haste off the chariot is ooh. nice. Goldspan dragon spits out creatures. Goldspan dragon could spit. I think it's important that this is a may. Yeah. So yeah, let's keep that in mind too. You mentioned the lookout. Like this is the card that might make that like a thing I come around to as it's potentially better than a mana dork if this card is that good. So just pumping out two twos or three ones every turn. I mean, yeah, it's, it sounds good, but you're talking about synergy between two new cards, so I'm always cautious. Of course, I just think like this card could net you so much power and toughness over the course of the game. Yeah, it's a 3-3 three, three for 3. Reasonable body. You know, you can play in any combination of Gruul, Mono Green, and Selesnia, which is also really cool. I think this card has a lot going for it. Uh, I think people are definitely going to try it. I think there are going to be degenerate board states where people just absolutely go off, and it looks ridiculous. Yeah, I have high hopes for Ginny Faye. This and the green, like, you, every land taps for a treasure, let's go. <laughs> yes. Got there. <laughs> oh my god, Wincon acquired. I'm gonna leave you to read us Legrela the Magpie and the, the Enigma, which is this card. This creature costs Bant, which is green, white, and blue. It's a 2-3 legendary creature human soldier, uncommon. When Legrela the Magpie enters the battlefield, exile any number of other target creatures controlled by different players until Legrela leaves the battlefield. When an exiled card enters the battlefield under your control this way, put two plus one plus one counters on it. Is this like the best Banisher Priest we've ever seen in our lives? What's going on with this card? Well... There are only about 50 ways to misunderstand this card. First of all, it says exile any number of other target creatures. And you're like, I can hit the whole board? Like, no. It says whoa. controlled by different players. So what does that mean, CGP? What does that actually mean? It's commander terminology for the most part. But in a game of one-on-one -on -one magic, it means you can exile one card controlled by your opponent. And you can exile one card that you control. That isn't this Got because it. it says other. So okay. you can exile your own creature. What's good about that is if you're a Yorian gamer, you already know. You exile your dog, your spirited, what is it, companion, spirited companion. And then when Lagrella is killed by your opponent because they want their creature back, your spirited companion comes back with two plus one plus one counters on it and you draw a new card. Yeah. It is a very good banisher priest. Cards like this have tended to show up in standard when they've been played in the past. I don't know if this is where edging on kind of boomer magic right now as it concerns effects like this. I guess we'll have to see. I mean, Skyclave I mean, Apparition and Brutal Cathar are really good. That's true. This that's is true. This kind of good. In a 60-card format, it's hard for me to see this being better than Brutal Cathar. But maybe, I don't know, if you're doing some blinky nonsense of your own, maybe, I guess. Yep, a really specific deck. Uh, keep an eye out for it. How about Nimble Larcenist? So this is a, a white, blue, black creature bird rogue at Uncommon. It is a 2-1 with flying. When Nimble Larcenist enters the battlefield, target opponent reveals their hand. You choose an artifact, instant, or sorcery card from it and exile that card. Pretty clean 2-for-1 if you hit. It's very clean, 
Do we have to wait for Elite Spellbinder to go away to play this effect, though? <laughs> because it's close, but I would say worse. That's fair. I mean, two powers a lot worse. The casting cost is a lot worse. Not being able to hit everything's a lot worse. Being able to hit something for good, it's a lot better. Interesting. I think this card will see play, especially when uh, the Spellbinder is gone. So Obscura Interceptor is one and Esper, four total mana, three, one, rare Cephalid Wizard with Flash and Lifelink. And when the Interceptor enters the battlefield, it connives. When it connives this way, return up to one target spell to its owner's hand. Also, a little bit of that divide by zero, you are going to play a thing, it goes back to your hand flavor with this card i'm a little bit hyped about this card like i think it could definitely see some play it's fighting for space with wandering emperor which is really tough but it has very different effect to the wandering emperor to the point where you would kind of love to have both in your hand and four untapped mana because of the options presented the lifelink for this card means it's really good at racing it's gonna be a four two a lot of the time and if it's not a 4-2, it's cycling a useless land out of your hand to draw you a card. So either way, I totally agree. I mean, this is the kind of card that can just close out a game on turn 4. It's one of the best cards in the format to punish somebody who taps out for a 4 or 5 mana card on their turn. Exactly. Like, like when they go for their lulth and they're down like a creature <laughs> or two on the board and their lulth was their stabilizing play uh, and they hit this, they did. That was exactly the card I was thinking of. Like, you tap out for Lolth, your opponent plays this card, you just scoop. Just scoop him up. Yeah, done. there'll be a lot of times the opponent goes for Meat Hook Massacre that maybe you exiled earlier with Elite Spellbinder, and they finally have enough mana to play it, and it runs into this, and the game's over. Yeah, and I think, like, if this card's seeing any play in the format, you basically just can't play Blood on the Snow. You might not even be able to play Farewell. Really scary card. It's even just going to be super annoying if you tap seven mana to recast your Deluge and your opponent just nopes it, cracks you for four. So yeah, very, very cool card. I'm glad you pointed it out. Definitely wanted to talk about it. Next card, Riveteer's Ascendancy. Black, red, green, enchantment at rare. Whenever you sacrifice a creature, you may return target creature card with lesser mana value from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. Do this only once each turn. You know, we can see the obvious rub here. You know, you sacrifice your thing, you get back a shambling ghast. It is kind of awkward because it has to be lesser mana value. A lot of the creatures that you're most excited to sacrifice are one drops. So this isn't really going to help you in that case. But if you have any interest in sacrificing anything two drop or above, then I think that this card can be very interesting. Agree with all of that. Don't really have a lot to add. It does seem... Probably the best Ascendancy, the most value in an Ascendancy, so I'm into it. Solid-looking card. We'll see whether it gets there. Easily could not, but it also could. You have places to be, right? Let's talk about Tainted Indulgence. Uh, this seems like a CGB card. Why don't you read it for us, CGB? So, for a Demir, that is a blue and a black, you get an instant at uncommon, draw two cards, then discard a card unless there are five or more mana values among cards in your graveyard. This is a very cheap draw and loot like a charter course basically yep. a pushed charter course right away with especially if you're not playing a creature deck and then the potential that late game you're just straight up drawing two. i mean this is an exciting card 
It like, doesn't be a deadly dispute for me in a deck with creatures, but it does yeah. in a deck without creatures, and I like those. I've run way too many Siphon Insights trying to draw bad lands from my opponent's deck to just was, to have a play on turn two. I was just going to say, doesn't this just slay Siphon Insight? Like, that card's just dead now? Not completely. That, that card has a role, but it's a Fair very enough. narrow one. Like Control Mirrors, I guess, right? Right. Cool card, not much more to add. If you have a reanimate thing, it's going to be great. If you're pitching, you know, like a flashback card, it's going to be cool. When you're drawing two off of this, you're just going to feel like a god. But take us into this next card, CGB, because I know I go off on this one. All right, Voidrend is an Esper. That is a white, a blue, and a black, an instant. And it has the text, this spell can't be countered, destroy target non-land permanent. I am going to pretend that this is the Esper charm and that the modes are choose destroy target (laughs) enchantment, destroy target creature or planeswalker or destroy target artifact. (laughs) Yep. 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 When you're right, you're right. Like, why would you really play the Esper charm when you could just play this instead? No, this is why the Esper charm isn't very good. Like, this is exactly the reason. Because they were making this card as well. I want to stress again the splashing, like we talked about with Endless Detour, the ability to get like 14 sources of a third color without too much effort, Mm. that Mm -hmm. we can basically play this in any white-blue deck, any white-black deck, or any blue-black deck in some number. And it is a little risky because you want your removal on time, but it should be doable. So this is my question. I see this and Endless Detour vying for space, And I feel like you're going to be able to play either in most decks that you want to play in the format. So my question is, because I like Endless Detour butters a lot of bread that this card doesn't. So my question is, how do we feel with this versus that? Well, this also gets rid of something forever, which Endless Detour doesn't. It's a deck building question. If you're playing Endless Detour over this, I guess need to kill the opponent because you can put the, I'm just going to use it as an example don't freak out. You can put their coma on top of their deck as much as you want to, but eventually you're going to run out of detours. Whereas Void Rend can reach right out and destroy whatever it is for good. So yep. they serve different masters. Is there a world where you play both because you're splashing all the colors? Probably not. I mean, I'm not the type to try that. So I would think that any deck that is close to playing one of those cards, the next question is, is there anything else you're going to splash? Is there yeah. any other main deck or sideboard card that's worth being in green versus being in blue? Or su- or not blue, that's a bad example, black. After having seen Ether Gusty kind of cards play out, I'm coming in on Endless Detour over this. It's just surprisingly powerful effect. But it could be that three mana is the breaking point between that being a good card versus not. Divide by zero prove that that kind of card can still be good. So I'm coming in hotter on that at the moment, but I agree Void Rend is great. And another thing is like if you want to play straight up Esper, you can play Vanishing Verse and Void Rend. That covers the bases, baby. Hey, like it's a lot of one for one. It's gonna force people to be value oriented, like from a very low spot in the curve. You know, you need your two for ones. Yeah, I could easily see like, you know, those two cards plus memory deluge and some other ways to kind of catch back up. That could be the start of a very solid control deck that can handle a lot of different stuff. So anyway, keeping an eye out 
to that for sure. Dies to Doomblade may have never been a truer statement. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Zeator's Envoy it. is a one in a Jund for a rare 5-4 Vyashino Warrior. This has Trample. And when the Envoy deals combat damage to a player, look at the top card of your library. You may play a land card from the top of your library or cast a spell with mana value less than or equal to the damage dealt from the top of your library without paying its mana cost. If you don't put the card into your hand, and this has Blitz, and that's why I think it's good. Two and a Jun to Blitz this. I think the Dies to Doomblade argument definitely applies here. So I think that this is a card you want to pay the five mana to Blitz, because this is pretty close to a Bloodbraid Elf. When this hits, you get something. I'm struggling. Well, first of all, like, what deck are you playing it in? Something that does damage to the opponent so that they have to tap mana to deal with those things so that you can blitz this in and get it. Because remember, you also sacrifice this and draw a card at the end of it, too. Yeah. You get a yeah, free card, so you draw a card, and you deal them five. I can see why the blitz is compelling. I totally agree that without blitz, this card just doesn't even get a look. I'm going to have to see this one go off. I definitely agree Like there are scenarios in which it's going to be sweet and feel really good yeah you'll deal five you'll get like a free other cool creature or something you'll draw a card you'll feel like that was a very solid follow-up to your opponent's board wipe or whatever but i don't know i just i feel like there are a lot of scenarios in which this card is really not very impressive i hear you but when i look at this card and i think of like the wet gruel decks that are around and they play goldspan dragon but their plan for Goldspan Dragon is to turn sideways and get some mana advantage, but it still takes them like two or three turns to close with that Goldspan Dragon. I think this yeah. is better for those decks. You put Reckless Stormseeker in a deck with this, and it's a very dangerous threat on turn four. Halana and Elena. These things That's just true. They just, just, just line dish them all around up. Haste. <laughs> yeah. Just line them all up. So yeah. that is sweet synergy on its own. The opponent has to respect those cards individually. They all mm -hmm. get they all usually get some damage. And then yeah. you blitz this in, or you if they don't deal with it, you play this give it haste and you smash in, and you are up a ton of cards and damage. I mean, you're right. Giving this thing haste and just casting it for the regular part of it, like Stormseeker into this, is terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Halana and Elena into this, terrifying. And you're right, that definitely must answer threats. This is not a legendary. Okay, uh, maybe kind of bringing me around on it. All right, we'll this, see. This is one of those cards that, like, it doesn't look very good, but you've made arguments for how it could be good. And let's just also say, if this comes down, your opponent can't immediately deal with it. It is going to take over the game. I there think is that too. in limited, this is going to be oh, nightmare fuel. <laughs> the, the nastiest. Absolutely. So crafties, that's it. I think that you will notice the absolutely massive volume of cards that we didn't read in this set review. And I think that that says something all on its own. I'm sure that there are cards that we didn't read that are going to end up seeing play. But honestly, this is definitely the memeiest set since Strixhaven. And this could be the memeiest magic set of all time. What do you think, CGB? Oh, man, you're going up against Homelands. <laughs> but there they didn't know any better. They didn't know any better. There, were, there weren't memes back then. This is the most commander-themed quote-unquote regular set I've ever seen. I think that Strixhaven 
a lot of what made Strixhaven bad was that the good cards were incredibly dominated by Eldraine. All the way through Kaldheim. You know, time has played out that Kaldheim is also a bit of a beast. In this spot, it's not that the cards are overshadowed tremendously by something like an Eldraine. Kaldheim is a beast, but it's like a lot of these cards are just, they're clearly not designed to get to see anything resembling standard competitive play. They're designed to make people go, whoa, at the pre-release and at their yeah. commander table. And that is usually yeah. something that we become accustomed to if we look at commander sets and not something that normally invades our standard format. So it leaves us reading a lot of cards with a lot of text and then going, why? And the answer is, it's for a different audience. You know, the thing that makes me really sad is that they did a thing which they needed to do, which was to print powerful three-color cards that were cost-effective enough that would see play. I definitely think they did that. Yeah. We have some of those like interceptor, flying, you know, disruptor thing kind of cards. Definitely endless detour and the void one, the Esper one, right? Yep. So like, I think they covered their bases as far as getting some new format staples in. I think the place where they really missed was making like impressive kind of finisher or like super threatening big tricolor spells in standard. And it really surprises me. It's so weird to me that the biggest ramp payoff that I can see in this set is a mono green card. I don't get it, CGB. Like what's going on? Maybe they were going to print an endless detour and they knew about divide by zero and they were like, well, we could print these cards and try to make them great raid and give people imagination and then just break their hearts because they're going to run into these universal answers. It does feel weird that I was waiting for identity from the families, reasons to play three-color decks. What I'm leaving with, there are good cards here. I think that the quality of cards that are going to make it in standard is much higher than Strixhaven. I, I think that people will listen to this podcast and they'll be confused because we talked about a lot of good cards. And we just didn't talk about a lot of cards. And here at the end, we sound like we're beating up the set a little bit. And it's because we did have to read all these cards. We just didn't read about, talk about all of them on the podcast. Like finding the cards to talk about. We learned from Strixhaven Review. That was the one podcast I think we both wish we had a do-over because we read a lot of bad cards and it depressed us. And it, yeah. it got to the viewers. On this one, we just read the cards that we think are legitimately powerful and good and are going to see play. And I feel better about the set having done it that way. But there's still some exhaustion from sifting through all the nonsense, like pure nonsense that they created. If you're going to sit down and read this whole set or watch like a video I might make for a whole set review, get prepared. It is nonsense thick. Uh, if you just yeah. want one example, go read Obscura Ascendancy. Just read that yeah. card and try to <laughs> contemplate how you're going to use that card in a competitive deck. You'll know what we're talking about. Yeah, Obscura is aptly named. Yeah, crafties, I'm usually the like go out there and craft and have fun and don't be the boring mono white gamer on day one kind of a person. But I just can't in good faith recommend that you do that with this set because I really think like you're going to be best served if you care about your wild cards to just like follow the meta for a couple of weeks, see where people go, let CGB take the hit and go from there. You know, if you already enjoy Rakdos, yeah, craft those Obnixiluses. You're probably not going to be disappointed. You know, go off, have fun. I think there's only a handful of cards in the set 
that are like rare and mythic that are like just craft them on day one <laughs> you'll be set kind of a thing that that's my advice to you stout crafties is be careful with your wild cards i i hate saying this i really do but considering the amount of three color nonsense people are going to be trying in for the first week if they do craft the cards it's a good time to play monocolored aggro and farm <laughs> it really is you'll hit mythic quick you'll feel smug about it and uh your soul will be a little lighter for it. That's going to do it for today. Thanks so much for joining us for this set review, Crafties. Hope it was valuable to you. Going to do a real quick outro here because I have places to be. But just look us up. You can find us. We're on Spotify. We have a Patreon. We appreciate if you support us that way. Big love to you, Crafties. And I really look forward to coming back with CGB soon to talk about the new Magic game. Later, Crafties. Crafties.